Well, good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here. Grab your Bible, please. And if you don't have one, there's one in the seat in front of you or under you, and that Bible is yours to keep if you don't own one. And in that Bible, it's page 1,123. 1,123. So have you ever gone on a road trip with kids? <laughs> yeah, some of you obviously have. Or how about preparing for the road trip, right? Um, think about going to, say, Yellowstone. And you, you tell the family, hey, we're going to Yellowstone. And the kids are like, all right, what's that? Well, it's a park. Oh, a park? Awesome. So what kind of rides are there? Well, well there's not, it's not Disneyland or Six Flags. It's, it's not that kind of park. Oh, so there's like swings and teeter-totters. Well, no, no, it's not that kind of park. It, oh, it's a water park. Water slides. Wait, no, it's a, it's a nature park. What? <laughs> a, a nature park? It, it takes how long to get there? Well, it's about 12 hours, windy roads. I get car sick. Can I just stay home? Right? That's when you think about how to motivate them to want to take that trip. You tell them what is actually there. Well, yeah, it's a nature park, but it's in like an active volcano, and there's beautiful pools, and there's actually grizzly bears and wolves and, and buffalo. You know, you list all these things, and we're going to camp, and we're going to have s'mores every night. We promise you can have s'mores every night. You can sleep in a hammock outside if you want. Right? You describe the destination. They're like, all right. All right, I, I can, we can go through this journey, and then when you're going on the winding pass, right, and you have to pull over so they're throwing up, it's like, just remember, there's grizzly bears. You know, it's going to be really cool at the end. Knowing the destination helps with the journey. Think about maybe a journey to get healthy, right? You're not sleeping well, uh, maybe heart hurting, lungs, things like that. You go to the doctor and says, well, if you lost 20 pounds, it would probably make all that go away, right? And so, well, you're cutting out ice cream at night, maybe cutting out that extra beer, whatever it is, starting to work out some. And sometimes that's tough, but looking at the destination of feeling good in the end, wait a minute, I'll be able to sleep well? I'll be able to wrestle with the kids again? Whatever it is, keeping an eye on that destination helps with that journey of getting healthy. Well, guess what? Spiritually, it's the same way. Spiritually, when we get an eye on our destination, it helps with the journey. This life is a journey, and there is a destination, but we're not there yet, and we won't get there in, in this life. There is a destination, and understanding that destination and actually understanding our journey is going to help a little bit. And so we're going to see John talking about that in John, end of chapter 2, beginning of, of chapter 3. Now, the last two weeks, we saw John warning. He said, watch out, the world is dangerous. It's going to tempt you. Beware of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. All these things are of the world. They're not of the Father. They're going to pull you astray. You're like, okay, so, so be aware. Then he goes on, and now watch out for false teachers. They're going to be those within the church, maybe that leave the church or sometimes that stay. They're going to be trying to draw you. So watch out. So you, you hear all these warnings, and you're like, man, is it even worth it? Right? Like, this is going to be, this is going to be tough. i got to watch out. i got to be on my guard. I can't be, you know, all in with the world. John was pretty black and white with that. If you love the world, you, you don't love the Father, right? They can't go together. You can't be kind of straddling the fence, a little bit of the world, a little bit of Jesus. No, all in with God, and it can get tough. And so now he's going to go on and go and, and describe this journey. Yes, it is tough, but guess what? It's worth it. It's worth it. Last week, we began uh, in uh, chapter 2, verse 18, where he says, Little children, this is the last hour. You know, John is writing like a spiritual father. He says, this is the last hour. And that last hour, meaning end times. That's the time of Jesus' uh, ascension, almost 2,000 years ago, till his return, 
All of that time is the last hour. And now John's going to kind of keep that theme a little bit of Jesus is coming back. History is winding down to an inevitable conclusion that God already has planned. And God knows the date. He knows the time. He knows the hour. We don't. But he does. And so now he's going to continue to encourage us. Look at John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. John says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. What is the instruction? Right? There's, there's one instruction we see in here, and it is abide. And now, little children, abide in him. That him is Jesus. Abide in Jesus. Remain. That's what that word means, to live, to cling to, to stay. The world is going to tempt us, right? Go back to what we already saw. As we're going through the world, cling to Jesus, right? As people try and, and lead us astray, last week we were encouraged that we are given the Holy Spirit. We're anointed. If you are a believer, you've been anointed by the Holy Spirit, and you have the ability to read Scripture and discern truth from falsehood. Are we going to disagree on some things? Absolutely. But those, those fundamentals of the faith, the Holy Spirit's going to convict you. You're going to know the truth of that. And he's going to encourage us with that. And so, remain in Jesus. Abide in him. We are warned against worldliness and lies so that when Jesus returns, we'll be ready. When Jesus returns, we'll be ready. That's the warning here. Abide, but then here's the warning and the encouragement. Jesus is coming back, and when he returns, there might be two responses. You could be confident, or you could shrink in shame. Have you thought about that? I, I remember thinking about that when I was younger, especially. What if Jesus came back right now? I'm not sure if I heard a sermon or whatever it was, but like, think about the things you're doing. What if Jesus returned right then, right? Would you shrink in shame at whatever you were doing, whatever you were thinking about, however you were living the life at that time? Would you shrink in shame or would you be confident? Would you be encouraged, right? Think about when you were younger, some of you still are, um, when I was a kid, we had rules against the TV uh, once a week or whatever our rules were. But sometimes mom and dad had meetings and things to go to. Um, and they would go and we would stay home. But the rules were the same, right? Here's dinner, whatever it is, you know, eat that, uh, no TV. And you're sitting there. I had three sisters and sometimes, you know, we'd turn on the TV. We weren't supposed to. And then the headlights come in earlier than you expect. Like, oh, shoot, click, click, grab a book, you know. And mom and dad walk in. They're like, why is the ice cream out? Well, I don't, I, that wasn't me, right? right? The TV's still crackling. This was different kinds of TVs than that, right? There's that, oh, they're here. Oh, we're, we're guilty, right? In, in shame. Or do they come home, surprisingly, and you're like vacuuming. You know, you're doing the thing. That never happened. But, but, but you know what I mean? You're doing what you're supposed to do, and you're confident when mom and dad walk in. There's kind of that idea here. Jesus is returning, and will we be confident or will we shrink in shame? This goes back again to chapter 2 where John was telling us that we can have assurance. He says, I'm writing these things so that you can be assured of your salvation. You can know you belong to him. And we can be confident in Jesus' reception of us if we live an abiding relationship with Jesus. 
Again, it comes down to that abiding. How do we know that when he returns, we're gonna, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, that we are going to be confident and not shrink in shame? It's if we consistently live this abiding relationship. We make a mistake. And a lot of times, I think American Christians have made this mistake. Oh, somebody prayed a prayer when they were a kid, and there's no evidence in life, whatever, they can be confident in their salvation. No, the confidence comes from enduring. Uh, the confidence comes from walking with Jesus. And so far, and we're going to continue to see it in John, there's a theme that this abiding, this confidence comes from three areas. One, abiding in the truth, right? Remaining in the truth that Jesus, the Son of God, is eternal, right? Was from the beginning, took on flesh, died on the cross, rose from the dead bodily for our sins. We know these things. We believe these things. We understand, again, the truth. There's nothing we can do to earn it. That's part of this truth that we realize we're helpless and hopeless. So one, we abide in that truth, believing what Jesus did, confident in that. Two, walking in obedience. Again, we saw this earlier when it said walk in the light. Don't walk in the darkness, walk in the light. And the mistake we make, that's another way of saying abide. The mistake we make is thinking that we walk in the light by being good, right? Uh, or we abide by behaving. It's different right? When we walk in darkness, when we drift from God, then we start sinning. Sin is the fruit. It's the result of walking apart from God, of not abiding. But obedience is part of abiding. As we abide, as we walk in the light, as we walk in the spirit, there's a lot of ways to say the same thing. Part of the fruit there is obedience. We do things that glorify him. And then the third is love. Love really comes down to the motivation for why we do these things. And it's God's love for us first, we already saw that in John, that he loved us when we recognize his love went all the way to him sacrificing himself for our sins, our only response is love back. And that evidence is not just love for him, it is first, but then love for one another. And so he was talking there, if you hate your brother and you say you love God, you're a liar because they go together. So love is another way to abide and it's also a fruit of abiding. So this idea of abiding, John 15, same author, same writer, John, the apostle John, John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. This idea of abiding, again, it's clinging. Picture that, that branch uh, there he was probably talking about a grapevine where Jesus was talking. He could point over, right, to the grapevines, the vineyards. He said, like that vine, Right? The branches are coming off that main vine, and they're producing this beautiful, wonderful, delicious fruit. But the branches don't produce the fruit. They just remain in the vine. The vine does all the heavy lifting of, of grabbing the nutrients from the soil and passing it on. That's us, right? The, the branch, we just cling to Jesus. And then he bears the fruit through us, the fruit of good works, absolutely. Or in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all those things are produced through us as we abide. So you, you probably know, if you've been here very long, I like pictures and illustrations. Um, I would have loved to grab a tree, but I've done that one before. So my other idea was, again, abide, remain, live in. I was going to pop a little tent here, but it wasn't going to work. There's no space, music team, all that. But the picture, you know, pop up a tent, right? And you get in the tent, you live in there. But we as Christians can, can get in our bubble and just hide there. Rather, to actually do it, I'd have to cut holes in the bottom, pick up the tent, and walk, right? And now I'm going through life while remaining in Jesus. And whatever I encounter, Jesus is with me. I'm living in him, 
right? His spirit is with me and I'm aware of that. I have scripture on my mind because I'm spending time in it. I'm thinking about it prayerfully, just walking, abiding in him. That is abiding. And in verse 29 there, we see that if you know that he is righteous, that is Jesus, and righteous means right with God, but also living out that right relationship, if you believe that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Something is introduced right there that is going to change the rest of this book. We're going to see a different context. We have been talking about fellowship with God, right? You can have a relationship with God, not the same as walking in fellowship. Now he introduces being born of God. Remember when Jesus met with Nicodemus, a religious leader said, you need to be born again. That's the same idea. Born again. We can be confident in Jesus' reception of us if we live in an abiding relationship with Jesus. That's first. But then every true believer is born again as a child by trusting Jesus' righteousness, not their own, resulting in a right relationship with God. That's what he says here. If you know that he is righteous, meaning my confidence is that Jesus lived a perfect life, I don't have to, I can't. If my confidence is in my goodness, I'm going to fail. Same with you, none of us are strong enough, smart enough, good in any of those things, right? Our faith is in Jesus' goodness. He was good enough, and then that does result in a change in us because we are adopted. Look at chapter three, verse one. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And so we are. Do you realize when we come to faith in Jesus, we're not just saved, right? We are, we saw last week, anointed. We're given the Holy Spirit and we're adopted. This is legit. This is real. We are brought into his family. And this isn't like a worldly adoption. When I was in high school, uh, we took a couple trips to Russia and worked in uh, orphanages. The result of that is some of those orphans got adopted by people in the States. And I remember one, it wasn't in my direct circle, but kind of out, these, these two kids were adopted. They were brought to the United States. They lived with them, I don't remember how long, six months, a year. And then the parents were like, oh, we didn't sign up for this. This is too hard right? And the kids had to go with somebody else, go somewhere else. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was, I was speaking to somebody with uh, the, the foster system here, talking about adoption. They said, unfortunately, a lot of times people enter the foster system to adopt, and if they don't keep, if they don't do fostering for a while, they just do it for adoption, those adoptions a lot of times fail, because they think they're going to get this perfect little kid, and then they take them home, and months later, they're like, oh, this is hard. This isn't what I signed up for. And the kids go back, failed adoptions. Oh, can you imagine being that kid, <laughs> right? But, but here's my point in sharing that with Jesus, there is no failed adoption. He's the perfect father and he knows you. <laughs> he knows me, right? He knows what he's getting into. He knows when he chooses, us. he knows what he's getting. There are no failed adoptions. It is real, it is eternal, it is permanent. We are brought into his family. God does not just accept us, he adopts us as his children. This is so personal. There is no other faith in the world that claims anything close to this idea. And again, this is true. I like how John says that, right? We should be called children of God. And so we are. We're not just called it. We are children of God. Meaning, there's a DNA change. <laughs> there's like a blood transfusion that happens. 
our DNA actually changes. We actually become children of God. You know, in verse 29, it says we are born of him. Remember, Jesus with Nicodemus, you must be born again. How can I be born again? Can I enter back into my mother's womb? This is super weird. No, spiritually, born again, a new life. Something changes. Here's the thing about family. Most of the time, they look alike, right? If they don't, that's kind of weird. But most of the time, they look alike. They resemble each other, not just in looks, but also in actions. You know, we had four kids go through Pinion Elementary School. By the fourth one, the teachers were like, another carpenter, <laughs> right? They, they recognized him. I had three sisters. Same thing with us going through school. Finally, when the, the last one goes through, it's like, oh, another carpenter, right? Because we, we look alike. We, we resemble one another. That's what family is supposed to be, right? But there's a result of that. We're recognizable. When I, was, uh, when I graduated college and, and I had a job as a custodian and I was cleaning an office that had about 30 people in it. And I remember it was after maybe two weeks of, of cleaning this area. I'd go through, I'd vacuum and, and take out the trash and those things. Um, and then one day I stopped and I was talking to one of the guys in, in a cubicle. And we were just chatting. I said, you're a believer, aren't you? He said, yeah. Uh, and we ended up going to the same church and became friends. But he said, yeah. And I said, and so is, and I named off, I think, three or four other people in the office. I said, so are they. He said, I'm pretty sure. I said, and I don't think there's any others, right? He said, as far as I know, that's it. After just two weeks, right? And not even every day in that, I could recognize, there was something about certain people. They were recognizable. Now, it doesn't always work that way, but it, but it should, right? Because family resembles one another. There's some certain things, and it's not that we resemble one another, it's that we resemble Christ. When we're adopted, we get his DNA, we start to look like him. Because we resemble God, listen to this, we do not resemble the world, and the world takes offense to that fact. Look back at verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. This is big. Here's the big point, right? I talked about the road trip. Understanding the destination is one part of it. Understanding the journey is another part of it, right? Hey, we're going to Yosemite or Yellowstone. I always get them wrong. We're going to Yellowstone, and it's really windy all the way there. All right, I, I can expect that to come. I, I understand that. Here, the world will reject us. That's what he's saying. The world will reject us. When we understand the journey, it helps with the journey. Not only understanding the destination. The worst road trip we ever had was probably last Christmas. We went to Colorado. And we came back, towing a trailer. Um, we had been given a side-by-side, -side, which was super cool. So we're pulling this trailer with that. It took 24 hours, right, to make it from there. And at first, we started the drive. I'm like, all right, here we go. Now, Callie, my wife, she got to fly home because of some stuff that she had going on. So it was just me and the girls. And we start out, and then we get, like, bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic for 45 minutes. Like, what is happening here? And then I checked the, the app, right, checked the weather, and all the way, it's like, oh, no, we're going to have storms all the way home. And as soon as I realized, okay, this is not going to be an easy trip, it changed our mindset a little bit. Like, all right, everybody settle in. This is going to take a while. This is going to be rough. And it was, right? I mean, it was one of those, there's a blizzard for a while, you can't see. And then that goes away, but it's all icy, and you see a car every mile or so in the ditch. It was one of those, and then we ran out of gas, uh, some knucklehead, you know, and it's 15 degrees, and we're on the side of the road going, what do we do? It's like, wait a minute. 
got in the side-by-side, cut the fuel line, ran it and filled up water bottles and put it in the gas tank. Seriously. Made it to the next town and gassed it up and kept going. But it was just one of those trips. So when, when we ran out of gas, it was one of those like, yep, of course. <laughs> right? This is just one of those trips and, and we'll figure it out. When we understand God is telling us through John here, the road is going to be tough. The destination is worth it, but the road is going to be tough. The world is going to reject you because it rejected Jesus. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Do you get that promise? If anybody told you, hey, come to Jesus, everything's going to be perfect for you, they lied. They they lied. Scripture's very, very clear. If you come to Jesus and you desire to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. It will be tough, right? We can be tempted just to hide, right? right? To not look like a Christian. That's unfaithful, right? But if we are faithful, again, there's those two unfaithful responses to that truth. One, conform to the world, so we're not persecuted. Or we set ourselves against the world, as if the people of the world are enemies, right? And then we're angry and afraid. And Christians do both, right? There's, there's kind of both extremes. There's those who just look like the world, right? What, what the Bible says about morality and truth and whatever, the world doesn't like that, so we'll just conform to them and change how we read the Bible. Or they're all enemies, right? And so many Christians right now are kind of in that camp where they're just, they're mad, They're mad at the other political side. They're mad at the world, right? Or they're afraid of of losing. They're afraid of these things. We as believers aren't either of those. But we understand that if we desire to live a godly life in Christ, we will be persecuted. Just read the headlines, right? The high school football coach who was fired because he was praying on the field after the game. That's one. Uh, People, bakers, uh, go down the list, all those who are being taken to court for living on, on their Christian convictions, these are going to the Supreme Court. In Australia, there, there was a, a CEO hired for a sports team. They find out three days later that he's on the board at his church, so they fire him. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, and it's getting worse and worse. We should expect it. We should expect this. 1 Peter 2.12, this is helpful. How do we engage in this world? 1 Peter 2.12 says, Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors, that even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Right? The idea that expect persecution, expect it to be tough, but keep your conduct honorable so that when they watch how they treat you and how you respond, they may have a click, right? They may have some, something's different. They may get saved. Then when Jesus returns, right, they will be acceptable. They will be in the family as well. Expect opposition and be prepared to respond in a way that honors God. Expect opposition. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, a lot of Christian podcasts, and there's you know, often the same themes drifting around, but there's something kind of new lately that I've heard several places, uh, and it talks about a theology of getting fired. And that's kind of weird, right? But a theology of getting fired, meaning are we ready to live a godly life and get fired for it? Uh, You know, you hear a lot of times, oh, I'm in this field. This is just what we do. I can't live my Christian life at my work. 
well, you need to be faithful to God and, and consider that. Where is that line? What does that look like, right? A nurse being forced to, to do abortions, guess what? There's a line. That's a pretty clear one in scripture, right? That's where you go, nope, I'm not going to do that. Well, you're fired. Okay, <laughs> right? We need to get a theology of getting fired. There's going to be a time, and it's going to be growing more and more, where we have to make choices, and we might get fired for it. Again, our journey will be difficult if we're faithfully abiding. Matthew 7, 13 to 14, Jesus says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Here's the truth. This is one of the things John wants us to know, and I want us to understand. The way will be tough, but it's worth it. But here's also the good news. Uh, look back at chapter, or verse 2. First uh, John 3, 2. It says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. Here's the first part. We are God's children now. What does that, this idea, as we think about we will be persecuted, right? The world will not recognize us. It will be against us. We will be rejected. What does it mean that we're in God's family now? It means we're family now, right? How could I go through such a, a horrible 24-hour drive? Well, I had three wonderful girls with me, <laughs> right? How can we go through this life? We have one another. There's a benefit of being family. Family, healthy family, sticks together. Healthy family goes through life together. So this theology of getting fired, right? You, you get fired, guess what? You have a family that's going to walk through that with you. You have a family that's, that's going to show up and help in whatever way possible. We are family. Hey, that's a good song. We could sing that, <laughs> right? But we are family. That's why we live in community with one another. That's one of the great things God has given us. We don't go through this stuff alone. We're not loners, Right? We are hopeful rejects in the world, but we're rejects together. That, seriously, that makes it a lot easier. It, it does. We can strengthen each other. We can come alongside one another. In Acts, when the apostles, uh, you know, they first began preaching, the church was growing, persecution was, was great. In Acts 5, 40 to 41, says this. It says, and when they, these were the leaders, they called in the apostles, they beat them, and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. They were beaten. They went away rejoicing together. Is there a different spirit maybe in the world right now than this? N not with everybody, but right? How many Christians suffer, rejoice that God counted them worthy to suffer for his name? Or how many get mad or fearful, right? They didn't go out and get a bunch of lawyers and, and come against them. There's times for that, right? Absolutely. We have a constitution. There's times for us to, to fight back legally. But you see the heart here. They were rejoicing together. I recently had somebody uh, share about their own persecution that's happening. I'm like, sweet, high five. What? Yeah. God counted you worthy to, to go through that, Me, meaning that's good news. You look different in the world, and they didn't like that. High five. Mm, that feels real weird, right? But we go through this life together. Listen, opposition from the world is worth it. We are hopeful rejects. 
That's what I want us to walk away with. We are hopeful rejects because we know what's coming. Look at verse 2, the second half, right? It says, and we, what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. We already saw before, right? The end is near. We're living in the end times. Are we going to be confident when he returns? Here's what happens. When he returns, we will be like him. When we see Jesus, we will receive new bodies like his and enjoy eternity on a new heaven and a new earth. Again, he says here, we don't, we don't understand everything about what we will be, but we understand that we will have bodies like his. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he rose bodily. His body was no longer in that tomb. He rose bodily. For 40 days, he walked the earth with people. He ate. He drank. They could touch him. They could recognize him. These are things we can understand about the new bodies we will have. We will recognize one another. We will eat. We will drink. Right? You, you look in, in Revelation and you see the picture of the new heaven and new earth. Not just in Revelation. It's elsewhere. But this picture of a new heaven and new earth, there's a river. Looks like there's a city. There's a tree. Right? So we know we can swim. We can climb trees. We can eat fruit. We can do it together. There's certain things we know. There's a lot we don't know. But there's certain things we do know. Again, in Revelation, it talks about our destination. There will be no pain, no mourning, right? Every tear will be wiped away. It's going to be awesome. And we need to get this idea of what is to come to make it worth it. You know, there's been something that changed really in, in the church in, I don't know, 50 years or so. And maybe it's just the culture, it's the way things are at, but, you know, look at the building we're in right now. This is where we meet. We can't really have a church graveyard around here. Traditionally, you'd have a church, and you'd have a graveyard next to it. Traditionally, Christians were not cremated. That's new for the Christian faith. For Christians to be cremated is new, and it's okay. I, I mean, it's arguably okay. God's going to do whatever. He's going to raise us. But bodies were displayed, and then bodies were buried because Christians have always, since the beginning, had the confidence that that body is going to be raised from the dead. Not just spiritual, that body. Now, can God gather the ashes? And, and, and yes, absolutely, and that's what he's going to do. But why were Christians early on burned at the stake? Because the non-believers were like, they think they're going to be raised from the dead. We're going to burn them. Then they can't be raised from the dead, Right? Our confidence is in our body being raised. I can't wait. I don't want to be just a spiritual being. I, I want a body, right? I want to continue to do those things. That's what we're going to have. Now, when is this going to happen? What's it going to look like? 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18. Now, the context of this is the Christians early on are going, wait a minute, there's other Christians that have died. Oh, no. Right? right? What are we going to do about this? They're being burned at the stake. What's going to happen? It says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's the whole point, to encourage one another with these words. You ever heard the word rapture? That's from this, caught up. That's the Latin for caught up, right? The rapture. Now, people can debate when is it going to happen. It doesn't, Scripture's not super clear on that. So we can debate that. But here's what we do know. When Jesus comes back, we will be caught up. Those Christians who are dead will get their new bodies. 
And we, if we're still alive, which would be great, um, we don't have to die, and we will be caught up also and get new bodies right then. That's going to happen sometime in the future. We don't know when. But listen, in eternity, Christians will be morally without sin. Can't wait. Intellectually without falsehood or error. Physically without weakness or imperfections. And filled continually with the Holy Spirit. That's the destination. As we get a picture of that and understand the world is going to hate us on our way, but we can go together, right? Then we're hopeful. We're hopeful for that. We're hopeful for now. And we're okay being rejected. The hope we have of our eternal destination gives us the endurance we need here and now. When we understand the journey, we plan for it. Again, we, we go together. We know it's going to be tough. We took a trip to Yellowstone this summer. We made a plan, right? We got a, a fun little game, shotgun. I recommend it. Uh, we had music. You know, we went on the journey together. We had a bunch of mints for Lydia because she gets car sick. So we were prepared for the journey and talked about what it's going to be like when we get there. Again, it's the same way. We are hopeful rejects, but there's one more piece. Look at verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. In this journey, we understand the world is against us. We understand there are temptations and all those things. But an aspect of our abiding relationship is that we purify ourselves. Now, listen, we are accepted by God because of Jesus, not saved by works. Done. We are accepted. But now we want to be acceptable. Right? Have you thought about it that way? I'm accepted, but, but I want to be acceptable. Jesus gave his life for me. I want to give my life for him. The right response to him is that we give ourselves back, and so we purify ourselves. This is an active relationship with Jesus. Right? We work together toward purity, toward changing. We've experienced his love. This is important. Again, we're talking about sons and daughters of God. That's who we are. We're in his family. An unbeliever who sins against who sins is a creature sinning against their creator. But a believer who sins is a child sinning against their father. Have you thought about it that way? When you sin, if you're a believer, you're sinning against your father. Not just the creator, not just this judge out there, but a father who loves you, who gave his son for you. I, I like this picture of, a, say, a teenage girl and she's out with her friends. And they'll say, hey, we're going to go to this place. We're going to go do these things. We're going to go there. But it's a place she knows her parents don't want her to go. She says, you know what? My parents don't want me to go there. Will you just take me home? And, of course, somebody in the group starts making fun. What, what are you afraid your dad's going to hurt you? She said, no, I'm afraid I'm going to hurt him. Right? That's, that's our loving response to our Father. That's us walking through this life. That's why we purify ourselves. Not because we're afraid of what God's going to do to us. Because we love him. We're afraid that we might hurt him. Scripture says we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can be saved. We can belong to him, and then we can walk in ways where he looks and he is grieved by the things that we do. Rather, we would rather purify ourselves because we belong to him. That is who we are. We are hopeful rejects. This is the abundant life. I, I love passages like this where we're told, we're, we're given the hope. I, you know, there's, there's two sides of the same coin. There's the warning, right? God is coming and he's going to judge. But then if we belong to him, we don't need to fear that judgment. We have hope. 
And so we purify ourselves looking toward that, and we have the confidence that when life happens, it's like, yeah, we expected this, right? We expected opposition, and we can do it together. I think there's a handful of applications for us. One, if we're part of the family, are we in the family? Meaning when life happens to you, when you have that experience at work, you might get fired, whatever. Are you in a group? Are, are you, do you have Christian relationships that you can tell them about it, that they can encourage you to do the right thing as you go through, that they can be there to give you a car, whatever it is? I mean, I mean, we'll do this together. Are you in those relationships? And then are you walking in abiding so that when life happens, you have the hope, you have the peace, you have the joy in him because you're walking in him. As family, let's enjoy this tough journey together because it's worth it. Let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, again, I, I thank you for your word and, and how, you, how you make clear the journey is, is not going to be easy. If we truly desire to be pure, if we truly desire to be acceptable, we know that we're accepted because, Jesus, you died and you rose from the dead. We know that that makes us accepted if we place our faith in you, but we also want to be acceptable. God, we, we want to walk in you. We, we want to avoid uh, the worldly temptations. We want to glorify you, God. We want to make you happy in the things that we do because of who you are. God, I, I ask just this morning, God, if there's anybody in, in here um, that needs that hope, that you would give them that hope, that confidence in you. God, if they're going through life right now and they've been wrestling with, oh man, God, you must not love me because I have this going on or this, Holy Spirit, encourage them. Say, no, this is part of life, and I'm going to go through it with you. Sometimes, I know, God, you'll take these things away for our benefit, but sometimes, most of the time, you want to go through it with us to teach us some things, to glorify yourself. I pray that that's what we would do. God, if there's anybody in here that doesn't know you, that they, uh, they will shrink back in shame when you return, let today be the day of salvation. God, where they surrender to you for the first time. In Jesus' name, amen.